As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're all on board with another edition of Off Air. Yes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Have you been practising in uh, in your bedroom like you did when you were about 11? Radio Have you been Garvey has getting been, into the cupboard? Uh, Radio Garvey's been shut down. To do some links. After all the trouble that we had behind the scenes, it was the executive decision was taken to close the station down. Did, did Ofcom come along and yeah. unscrew the massive pylon? I was up to my antics and uh, throwing my weight around and worse. And so... It came It came to a juddering halt. But oh. what years of entertainment well, I provided. You do share that with, I think, quite a few people who've gone on to practice the art of radio presentation because I'm pretty sure that Jeremy Vine had Vine FM uh, in yes, his family mm. car. I don't know whether yep. he had frequencies like I did. Yeah, well, I think he's, he's on a pretty big frequency now, love. Yes, he's done quite well he's for on, himself. He's on with remarkable frequency. Yeah. Do you know what? I We haven't talked about the death of Steve Wright and I did see, I thought Jeremy's tribute to him was really beautiful and really spot on. And I know there have been lots and lots of tributes to Steve Wright. You know, we've both said things in front of a microphone about him. Um, but he he was, he's never going to be... Nobody can fill his space, actually, can they? Well, I no, can't. No one has. No, and I can't think of someone who would be able to come along and really transform the sound of radio in the way that he did. I think he almost took it as far as it is capable for it to go. Would you agree? Uh, gosh. I... In the early days, because it was that mixture of kind of fact and fiction as well, wasn't it? So you had all of the characters. All the craziness. All the craziness. But there was, you know, at the heart of the craziness, some pretty spot-on stuff. I mean, Mr Angry was a spot-on depiction... Oh, no, there was some satire there. ..of a bloke losing it quite often <laughs> over the BBC or Europe. Yes. <laughs> he was yes. ahead of his time. He also had a character from Belfast, I remember. Oh, God, he had all sorts of... Oh, I mean, some of them don't actually... No, some of them now. perhaps we, we wouldn't um, do now, uh, nor should we. But that didn't mean they weren't very funny and, as V says, spot on at the time. I just, I'm sure like you, I have a crystal clear memory of lying in the back garden, I think after my A-levels, and listening to Steve Wright in the afternoon. And it was just a place of sanctuary, uh, but also somewhere where there was fun. Yeah. There was just silliness and fun. And um, he could make, he really did make it sound important even when it wasn't. And that is a knack. I mean, it's a heck of a knack. 
And it's one that very, very few broadcasters actually have. Yeah. And he knew that too. So uh, we were lucky enough to go on his programme a couple of times, weren't we? So he was immensely supportive. Whenever you popped up to do something new, you know, he'd, he'd get in touch and say, do you want to come on and talk about it? And, you know, lots of people don't bother to do that. So I'd no. say thank you to him for that. But off air, he would always uh, acknowledge that we just made radio. So he didn't carry, I think, what am I trying to say? He's not, he wasn't as pompous as an awful lot of incredibly successful people in radio end up being. Well, there are some absolutely extraordinarily self-regarding broadcasters who haven't brought an iota of the entertainment and comfort and companionship that Steve Wright brought to listeners. And some of these pillocks are still are still out and about doing their thing. And I suppose it comforts me to know that they won't be missed in the same way as him. So, you know, get over yourselves. They know who they are. Or do they? Why don't you tell them? <laughs> Perhaps I should. Perhaps I should. I probably have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you probably have. Uh, anyway, he will be much missed on air yes. and, uh, you know, lots of us were just genuinely, genuinely really, really sad uh, that he'd died because 69 is no age at all. Uh, wasted your good years uh, is perhaps where we'll start with your lovely emails. Such a sad story and this is about our email yesterday from our correspondent. Would you like to put... Uh, just into a couple of sentences, what the problem was. Well, um, she was a woman approaching 40 who'd been having an affair with a married man for five years. I mean, it is an old story. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt terribly. Um, to, she's clearly in a great deal of pain about it. She realises he's made the usual promises. He's going to leave his wife. They don't get on. And guess what? He hasn't. And we have no idea whether or not they get on or whether his wife knows. I mean, they have a, they have a relationship. There have clearly been some good times. But she's not allowed to be seen with him in public. It all just seemed so clandestine and oh, kind of the, the bottle of their relationship was very much half full, I think. Uh, and she's realised that, you know, he's not he's not going to leave the wife, is he? And But she is going to be upset, so what should she do? That was the gist of it. That I is think. the gist of it, absolutely. And the gist of all of the emails that we've received is just go your own way. Cut yourself adrift from him uh, and your best years actually may not just have passed you by. They may be just ahead of you. Absolutely. So there's this fantastic quote from Catherine Ryan, which is mentioned in an email from Tabitha, uh, who says, just a thought for the listener who wrote in about their relationship with a man who's married. As Catherine Ryan always says, what's worse than spending five years with the wrong man is spending five years and one day with them. <laughs> uh, and uh, this one is a little bit more verbose, uh, but uh, says a lot, actually, and we're going to keep you anonymous. Um, as you say, very few people in my life know the full story of my recent separation. I've just listened to the email from your listener. As somebody who's going through a divorce from a husband who was serious, serially unfaithful, at first I thought, well, this is what you deserve for having an affair 
Whilst there is a part of me that will always think that, I was surprised to find myself feeling very sad for the correspondent. We are the same age and whilst our roots may have been different, we find ourselves in the same place, 40, and wondering if we wasted our best years on a man who didn't deserve it. I want to tell her what my best friends have told me, that the best is yet to come. At first I couldn't see it in the devastation of my marriage coming to an end, but now I can and I've come through the worst of it. I'm still young, but I'm now also much stronger. My husband wasn't worthy of me and this man isn't worthy of you. If a man lies and cheats and makes you feel that you need to hide in the shadows and bow to his feelings, he doesn't deserve you. Don't waste any more time on him. So that's kind of from the other side, actually. And it's a very good sisterly email. And uh, and also, I think it's really worth acknowledging that, uh, you know, whoever you are in the relationship when you are splitting up, that fear of what's going to come next uh, can just feel so overwhelming. But so many people tell the story of what happens next being better. So the decision just comes to be meaningful and right and you don't know that that's going to happen, but I would say just, you know, do it with a bit of hope in your heart. Well, um, yes. Although, actually, you know, this phrase, best years, um, is, well, is it what they, people really mean, your potential for reproduction? Well, I think reading between the lines of our correspondent, that's exactly what she yeah. was saying. And that's saying. just a biological... It's a fact. Fact. Yeah. And it's bloody cruel. Uh, but it is fact. Uh, and that has got to be part of this decision-making, hasn't it? Um, another listener says, I too lost my so-called best years to a man married 14 years older, eventually finding the strength to leave him after seven years of promises and hints of a better future that, looking back, I wanted to believe more than actually believing them to be realistic, if you see what I mean. It almost broke me, thinking there must be something wrong with me, that no matter how unhappy he claimed to be, I didn't seem to be a better alternative for him. It's ten years on now and I'm in a wonderful relationship with a six years younger man who adores me and who can offer me the future I want and deserve. I have left it too late to have children and whilst in general I don't regret that, I do sometimes find myself wishing I could have met my partner earlier and had that experience with him. Uh, please tell your correspondent, uh, listen to the track by Taylor Swift called Illicit Affairs. It completely stopped me the first time I heard it and it sums up the situation perfectly. Uh, it has the lyric, that's the thing about illicit affairs, they tell the truth one single time, but they lie, they lie, they lie a million little times. Mm. It's a beautiful song, it's on folklore, isn't it? Is it? it? I, don't, yeah. I can't actually call and it And it's got mind. a very, very clever lyric as well about illicit affairs, they start in parking lots and you know they end in despair. It's, it is a very good song. Right, I must go back and listen to folklore. I, did, I actually went to a gig the other night. What, Taylor Swift? Get no, that quiet. No. Um, Noah Kahn. Noah Kahn. He's number one in the charts. No, oh, Noah. He is. You know Noah. Uh, well, he's a number one in the album chart. I, must, I need to get this right. Um, he, he was the subject of a quite flattering portrait in The Guardian yesterday, so they think he's worth writing about. And he's uh, a rather a kind of melancholic... Balladeer, I would say, but he packed out Wembley Arena. The Guardian wrote a view about a melancholic. <laughs> it's hard to believe a melancholic balladeer, Gosh. yeah. Uh, and he's probably um, he was very fun. I mean, I didn't know anything about him, and I was absolutely an emergency call up to this gig uh, because for various reasons nobody could go with my daughter, so it was me or bust. So I went, and I was so glad I went because apart from anything else, I haven't been to a proper gig since Cliff. <laughs> Sit down or stand up. Well. 
it was sit down uh, at the arena, uh, but then everybody stood up in the seats and I actually realised I was going to have to... Because obviously I couldn't, you know, <laughs> stay sitting. Yeah. I couldn't see stay the only person there who was sitting down. But I, honestly, it was, it was brilliant. His song, uh, what is it, From My Experience or Past Experience? That's very good. But he's altogether very good. Uh, but he is somewhat brooding and he's had various struggles with mental health and he attracted a, a, a crowd, I would say, were the kind of person I'd been myself in my sort of 20s, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat down about life and what it might or might not offer me. But some super tunes. Super a, tunes. A very good band. Lovely. Yes. Well, that sounds like a top night out. Well, it, well, it kind of was, because yeah. I worked out we hadn't been... My, my daughter and I hadn't been to Wembley Arena since I took her to see the Tweenies. God almighty. And they were good live. My God. <laughs> Do you know what? I haven't been to Wembley Arena since I saw Rod Stewart. <laughs> you see, we all have our little secrets. <laughs> that was such a long time Did you time stand ago. up for that? Oh, yes, all the way through, obviously. Yeah. But the sitting down, standing up thing is quite funny because, uh, you know, increasingly, and I know that you do the same thing, we go and see kind of heritage bands, yeah, don't we? Yeah. So we go and see bands who absolutely we would have stood up for first time round. Oh, yeah. But you walk in and you just think, oh, thank God, everyone's sitting down. <laughs> and then it does. It will get to, you know, a couple of songs before the encore when the beat is a little bit lively oh, and everybody decides they're going to stand up. <laughs> and if I'm going to be very honest, and I know that's a phrase, that annoys some of our listeners, but I wish that everybody would just stay sitting down yes. until the end. I can't see anything, Jane. No, but we don't need to worry because when we are in the... I know it was going to be the home for the infirm but impartial and now you've renamed it the home for... I can't remember. ..the infirm but ready to listen to the other side. No, Even think, if it's from a right-wing perspective. I think it's the, the infirm but solvent. OK. <laughs> the home for the infirm but solvent. Um, because we are the age we are, um, we'll just be able to get avatars of all our favourite bands just That's coming. That's so true. That and they can so just true. jiggle around in the living room, can't yeah. they? And I won't mind at all. I won't brilliant. mind at all. And also I do find it, you know, I, I just I find it difficult seeing bands where you know that somebody's died. It's just so sad. And it doesn't matter who replaces them and how fantastic they are. Mm. You're just seeing, you're seeing a constant memory of, uh, you know, somebody who's who's gone yeah. and and actually I was really lucky to see uh, Fleetwood Mac uh, when all of them were on stage together and the thought now it's something like that isn't it where you just think it just could not possibly possibly uh, be anything other than a sad night out actually to know who's no longer there well um what about I'm trying to think of a band that we might Shawaddy Waddy would probably be appropriate to our age group when we're in that home Gosh, um, there are a lot of Shawaddy Waddy, and I don't know how many of them have. Um, how many of them are no longer under the moon of love? <laughs> left this mortal coil uh, in their fabulous drape coats. Was it drape coats? Yes, they were kind of three quarter length. That's right. Yeah, numbers weren't they? The lead singer was incredibly attractive. Did you? Th did you think <laughs> so? I just remember him as having a heavy fringed mullet. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, right. So slips, that... girdles, and vests. Yes. Should we get back on track with slips, girdles, and vests? Well, can I just mention Sarah in Wanstead, a woman after my own heart? I always tell my girls to have a packet of tissues on them in case there's no toilet paper when they're out. And can I just say, Sarah, that's exactly my advice as well. Uh, always keep a white loaf in the freezer and always have a packet of tissues in your bag. Because yeah. uh, drip drying doesn't work for anyone. No, and then you find yourself scrabbling around thinking, well, I could use the receipt, but will I then be able to give it to my accountant for my tax purposes later? 
The answer is no. I've never done that. Depends on your account. <laughs> OK, slip skirtles and vests. Dear Jane and Fee, I was in hysterics when I heard your comment, no one still wears a slip. The remains that was a- your comment and I thought it was highly controversial. There remains a generation of Windrush women. My 80-plus mother is one of them who still insists on wearing a slip. She returned to the Caribbean 20 years ago with her M&S full and half slips. She wears them in 30-plus degree temperatures when venturing out. I recently suggested she dispose of them and her girdles, but she was adamant that she needs them. 40 years in the UK is fully embedded and continues to influence her underwear drawer. Uh, That comes in from uh, Jennifer... And, I mean, I think we should apologise. You know, the, the more we learn about what our pompous notion of empire has dictated in other people's lives, the more we should be deeply ashamed. And we've tried to export our version of democracy, commerce, all kinds of things, I hierarchy, don't, uh, we can't and be too now angry. girdles and slips. Yeah, but exporting Marks and Spencers is all right, isn't it? A love of Marks and Spencers underwear, I think we are all on board with that one. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the okay. thing that slips in. And obviously uh, Jennifer's mum just loves the, the comfort and there's a certain dignity to wearing a slip, I think. There is. You've just got a little bit more going on down there. Yeah, you see, I find... I would think it's exactly the opposite. I just find it really irritating to have an extra layer of something that could ride up or fall down or get caught up or whatever. Falling down is funny, isn't it? I, I do occasionally now. I never used to think about this. I do worry about things falling down, just falling off. If I wear a skirt, what will happen if it falls off? <laughs> the answer is, unfortunately, nothing will happen. I'll just... I think it's a little bit of wish fulfilment going on there, Jane Garvey. And someone who doesn't want to have their name mentioned because she doesn't want to be associated with this podcast and doesn't want anyone she knows to know that she listens. It's quite offensive, isn't it? Uh, says, just to say, I still wear a slip. I'm in my early 40s and that is because of static who wants their dress slowly crawling up their tights while they walk to the tube. Obviously, this is less of an issue if you have lined skirts, but slips allow you to wear a less spendy garment without risking static indecency. It's also nice and warm in winter. Actually, you know, our correspondent, Anonymous, is correct there. Very few skirts these days are lined. Yes. I don't don't like that. It's disgusting. No. Uh, So quite often I find that I just don't wear tights to avoid that ride-up thing. Um, But then... It's a a little bit chilly mm. on tube, and also it means you know that invariably when you find yourself in an office setting or whatever, uh, and you cross your legs, you're just exposing what is now an ugly knee, Jane. Oh, Very I'm sure ugly it's knee. I'm sure. There it is. So it's characterful. No, no, my knees are terrible. They're getting worse with age. Uh, nappy parcel satisfaction. I didn't really understand this, but maybe this was something that you talked about when you were having your affair with Jane. Probably. Uh, just listened to the Valentine's Day episode in which Izzy said she loves wrapping a nappy into a parcel using the sticky tabs. Please could you pass on this fact about nappies, which people rarely seem to know. If you look carefully at the back of the nappy, you'll find there's a little webbing envelope that's tacked down until you're ready to use it, into which you're supposed to tuck the nappy after folding. It makes a satisfyingly small package and keeps everything neat and tidy. I didn't know that. Is that on all nappies or just the more expensive branded ones? I don't know because in, you know, what would have been, God, I mean, for kind of five years of using nappies, not me, my children, um, I never found that or noticed that. No, I probably just wasn't doing it properly. Wouldn't surprise me. That is, um, that's an insight. Thank you. It is. And 
Do you know what? It's one of many things that when you find yourself uh, with a baby, I mean, the first time I changed a nappy, I just just had no idea. And what's what's the, is it meconium, the very, very sticky first yeah. poo they do? The, so yeah. that can be the first time that you try and put, put a nappy it's on It's quite a welcome, baby. isn't it? It's, it's like absolutely in at the deep end, isn't it? One way of putting it. God. Um, <laughs> yes, meconium memories. Uh, Anne says, um, I am sorry to be a few days behind. Yeah, come on, Anne. Honestly, I mean, yes, but apology accepted on this occasion. I'm a former nun, says Anne, and I've got no idea what reformer Pilates is. Please enlighten. I imagine it would be quite tricky to perform in full habit and wimple. I now work in a prison. Inappropriate rummaging is quite common. Um, and Anne says she enjoyed... This is something else we talked about, I think, maybe. No, I think you were here. Um, Anne enjoyed the interview with James Timpson. This is the guy who's the boss of Timpsons, and Timpsons, of course... No, I wasn't here for that. No, I know, but he hires a lot of former prisoners. So uh, we t did talk about that in the interview, and um, obviously Anne is in a prison, so she will be familiar with that uh, project, that idea, and also with inappropriate rummaging, which is um, men who just spend a lot of time with their hands down their pants in public. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. Uh, you haven't explained reformer Pilates, so it's the point of her email. Pilates done on the reformer machine, and, and if you just Google reformer machine, you'll see that there are endless possibilities with it. Uh, Pilates is, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's exercise for those of us who are just not that interested in gym work, but Pilates offers you a kind of way in that I've been able to stick to. And I've never, ever stuck to any kind of exercise regime before, but it works for me. Uh, do you think it works because it's highly efficient? Because the whole point of the reformer machine is uh, you've got a resistance workout going on, haven't you? Yeah. So yeah. when you... you you're pushing, pushing and extending. And pulling and, yeah. You've actually got to pull back and yeah. so you're doing both muscle groups at the same time. Well, I always start doing my... It's kind of two for one, isn't it? Jane? Yeah, it kind of is. I, it's half and half in my sessions. I do the legs first or I do the other half first. Do you know what the other half is called? <laughs> I think it's or called just non-legs. The top. <laughs> Oh, no, we're back to carving glovers, tops and bottoms. I still think that is a winner. I, I don't know why you were so resistant to that. It's as if you don't want to work with me forever. Right, can I just tell you off here about Cambridge? Oh, yeah, well, this lady says she doesn't want it read out. I'm just going to read a tiny bit out can just, I just to give you an opportunity. Okay, cool. yeah. Well, I just thought it was a, a, um, I just thought it was a, actually a very good point. So it's just about that um, stereotype image that we, stereotypical image that we have perhaps of Oxford and Cambridge as being just a place of privilege. It's constantly enhanced whenever you see Cambridge depicted in films or whatever. It lies at the heart of Saltburn, for example. Um, but actually the facts just tell a different story and our correspondent just wanted to speak up for the many state school kids who now go to Oxford and Cambridge. And I do think the point is a good one, that if you continually reinforce the idea that there's a horrible air of privilege about places, then of course people listening who aren't privileged are going to think, I don't want to come up against that. And I just think it's quite a good point to make. That is a good point. I have to say, my beef with the whole uh, Oxbridge establishment is that establishment thing. And I'm glad it's changing, and it definitely is changing. Um, but we are, as a, as a country, still governed by Oxbridge privileged people. And I suspect that the vast majority didn't go to state school, though hopefully within the next 
10, 15, 20 years, that will definitely yeah. change. And but also entertainment, I'm sorry, there are far too many Cambridge Footlights graduates still dominating the entertainment sphere. Well, they are, but I'm going to go... A, 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 a little bit uh, down with the kids here and say that that is mainstream media because actually if you look at TikTok and if you look oh, you at know, YouTube... That, I'm not talking about young people no, no, coming but if, up. But if you look at all of the new media, yeah. that kind of uh, matrix of privilege just doesn't exist. So that will come to the surface and I hope well, it I will. really hope it does. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Right, OK, so we're going to talk at 1.5 because we've got to get out of the studio because Matt Chorley is here. So John Tarose is an absolutely fantastic bloke. He's been presenting MasterChef for 456 years, but he's entertained us as well on television screens doing lots of different things. And he's currently doing a tour around Australia with his wife, Lisa Faulkner, and it's very entertaining. They go mostly to Western Australia. And I asked him something. Here we go. I left um, Australia when I was 25 years old. Um, I'd done a little bit of it, not a huge amount of it. And when I say that, I mean, if you look at the size of Australia, it's quite big. And so um, I... I been across to Western Australia once before. I mainly on the East Coast, so I grew up in Melbourne, sometime in Sydney, um, and then lived in Sydney until I was twenty-five, and then I came across and, and then into the UK. Was this TV show genuinely an opportunity to kind of do the road trip that you hadn't done as a younger man? I think an amazing opportunity, a fortuitous opportunity to actually see a part of Australia that I didn't know a huge amount about. I mean. Um, Perth, the capital of Western Australia, as I say, I've been to. Uh, Fremantle, I've been to. But as far as the rest of it's concerned, I'd, I'd, I'd never really seen very much of it. And I think for me, there was this amazing world of discovery that, that made me understand even more that Australia's got so much to offer. Um, and it's so diverse in what it is. It's so incredible in what it is. It's got amazing coastline. It's even got forests. And I always thought Australia was full of bush but have got these amazing forests as well. So, yeah, I mean, and I suppose also doing the trip, because I did the trip with Lisa, my wife, um, in a car, electric car. We poodled around, had a nice time, and and did it quite calmly, actually, rather than bouncing around really fast from one place to another. So one of the things that really shines through in the series is how well you get on with your wife. And I know that may sound like a kind of facetious thing to say, but actually a lot of the time it's like the cameras aren't really there. Was there somebody actually with you all of the time? Was some of it just filmed without anybody in the car with you? There was never anybody in the car with me and Lisa. 
it was all done through the guys. Sound guy put his sound pack in the back uh, that we'd have a GoPro on or a couple of GoPros on and we just went for it. And that was it. And that was just us genuinely going along the road. And, you know, there's little bits where I might pull something out of the glove box. I'd put something in the morning for that reason. I, I, there's a sense of engagement that there's bits of Australia I knew, I suppose, and there's bits of Australia I didn't, but there had to be a way of joining that up together. So there was the Aussie in me on discovery, but there were the bits that I knew. So things like my twisties here, which were, a, 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 you know, a, a big Australian thing for me growing up was um, those were sort of things I wanted Lisa to understand. There's one stage where she wasn't very thankful for it, but I, I bought out um, a salad sandwich on the Swan River. We went for this amazing um, uh, cruise on the Swan River with Dave, who was our captain, who was British, but now settled in, in uh, just outside Perth. And uh, he solar-powered boat, and we had a salad sandwich, which is, again, a very iconic Australian thing. So no, always very natural. We were allowed to do what we want. We were told we were going somewhere. We weren't scripted. And I think that's the joy of it. But thank you very much. I think we do get on pretty well. Yeah, you've done right. <laughs> so you have my blessing, John. Uh, you're going you. to have to explain twisties uh, because we're on the radio. I can see your twisties. Not everybody else can. What is no, a twisty? A twisty, they come either in a yellow packet or a, 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 a green packet. They have a red squiggle in the middle of them. And they, they're very similar to a knickknack, but they're not like a knickknack. And they're sort of like a twisted thing. And as I say, that one is cheese flavored, one is chicken flavored. And when I was a kid at school, if we wanted to be able to buy uh, things we weren't supposed to buy with our uh, money that we had for the touch shop, you'd be able to afford a bread roll and a pack of twisties. And you put your twisties inside the bread roll, that was your lunch. And that would allow you to buy your contraband. Um, which, of course, we wouldn't talk about on radio, would we? No, of course not. No, no. clean living gentleman like yourself. That's um, it, yes. So Australian food, John, I mean, if you were going to be asked to cook a kind of, you know, a three-course national celebration meal for somebody, what what is that? What What sums up Australian food? Wow, that's quite hard. I think I'd have to bounce around from coast into it, it sort of, you know, almost land and sea. I definitely have to pick up something. I suppose with the whole thing to do with Western Australia, there'd have to be uh, amongst it all truffles and marron. So truffles, we know, uh, you know, we, everybody thinks about Europe, but Western Australia is now one of the biggest growers of truffles in the whole world. I would have to have that with marrons, which are like a freshwater lobster, which have got really, really beautiful and meaty. I think that would be go with that. There'd have to be a really lovely crisp glass of Chardonnay with that, because I think that's always very, very Australian. I would then probably have to go and do something like maybe beef with an oyster sauce. So taking that mixture of oysters with from the coast in with the beef as well. And then maybe introducing to that maybe some uh, lots and lots of Asian herbs because there's so many people have moved out of Asia into Australia that there's this, this incredible people growing great things in farms. And then as far as, and then that would probably have to have a big glass of Australian Shiraz with it. And then I think for dessert, I would probably go for a good old-fashioned pavlova with things like mangoes and passion fruit and pineapple and the flavors of the tropics and sunshine because that to me is what it's all about. And probably with that, maybe something like a, a glass of sparkling something. I don't know what. Um, and then to finish off, a really good cup of coffee because Australia is just full of the most amazing coffee shops. And, and you know, WA is, is no, has no shortage of great coffee people roasting their own coffees and, and doing great coffee. So mm. there you are. That, for me, is really what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, is Australia, do you know, experiencing the same kind of health problems that we are? 
uh, often because of bad food choices. So our obesity crisis in the UK uh, is is quite phenomenal, actually. It is really, really bad. What's Australia done differently if it has done something differently? Look, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a scientist and nor am I a doctor. All I know is that that in this great world that we live in, this in this free world we live in, and we all do live in a very, very free world, is we have a choice. And all the people that we met, uh, their choice was to wake up in the morning and go for a surf, then come back and then actually do their job. And, you know, what they did and the way in which they lived their lifestyle was the way in which they lived their lifestyle. I, I, I didn't meet anybody from my point of view who, who ever thought, oh, well, no, I'll just go down the shop and buy myself a frozen pizza because the food is so abundant and it's so available. But I think that's probably one of our, our, our great uh, disadvantages is that food is so available and it, it can be, you know, sometimes what I would call cheap. And I don't like the word cheap because I don't think food should be cheap. I think it should be inexpensive. But we've got one of the things that we all know is is people don't cook at home, um, and, and I I can't change that. What I can do as a as a proud Aussie, as somebody who you know loved Western Australia and doing this show you know for ITV, was that that I can come back and say there is a world out there. Go and have a look at it. Um, but yeah, you know, you know how things are going to change over the next you know two decades. Who knows? I don't know. I don't and know. One of your main restaurants in at the centre of a meat trade isn't it and it definitely has a meat menu well i think thankfully and i'm no longer involved in smith's um what's very interesting for me and fascinating for me about this and the, the conversation we're talking about now is that i saw yesterday that pret manger have just closed their last vegetarian pret manger their their green pret veggie has been closed because the demand has changed so much people are flexitarian i understand that i the way in which people consume food is not for me to dictate to them. What I do say, and like with the whole thing to do with the, the show that I've just done with Lisa, is go for the the absolute best and do small amounts of it. You know, it, 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 it's really interesting. I, I live with, with Lisa and, you know, what she eats, the amount she eats is not a huge amount. She eats quite a lot of my food. She likes to eat, come and nick stuff off my plate. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's... It's really interesting to see how that changes. Now, I, you know, I do MasterChef. I can't tell anybody what not to cook and what to cook. I work in a, a land where there's butter, there's salt, there's, you know, there's meat, there's fish, there's all these things. Um, but I'm very, very careful about what I do eat. I do cycle to and from work as much as I possibly can. Um, I, I, you know, I have a lifestyle and I would like to, to live a long and happy life. And, you know, one of those things about doing that is I get a, a chance, you know, touch wood to go and visit great places like, you know, the southwest coast of Western Australia and walk on the beach barefooted and, you know, go on and, and, and meet great people who are, who are talking about coastlines and food and all sorts of stuff. Do um, you, did you enjoy your journey uh, around Australia so much that we might lose you back to your home nation? I think I think at this stage in my life, I've got you know grown up children and my family here. I've been here quite a long time, um, and you know so does Lisa, and we've all got different family. I think th that won't necessarily happen. I I wouldn't be surprised if we spend a bit of time in Australia though. I mean, Lisa loved WA. I mean, absolutely loved it, and said to me when she said, "If there's one place in the world I could live, it's here." The excitement on her face when she walked down the main street of Margaret River and bought herself a flannel, which is a flannelette jacket, from this surf shop, 
just the joy on her face and then going into a bakery and then uh, well she's in the bakery i went to her and got some charcuterie and some olives it, it, it's just it was just a really really lovely way to be yeah really she's, lovely way to be. she's certainly a very very dedicated shopper I admired her contribution to the retail economy of Western Australia enormously. I loved, she had, that's that's the, the the great thing about her enthusiasm, I think, and and what it does go to show you is the variety of what there is around around the, those parts of the world. And you know, you can do anything you want. It's it's up to you. I think one of the things and the lessons I think you can learn from this whole journey is it's worth discovering. It's worth jumping in a car. It's worth not just doing the same thing as everybody else. It's worthwhile finding out these little places like Alberta's in Bustleton or Mickey's in, in Margaret River or Glenartley Road, uh, you know, and finding these places and actually going to them and going, I can drive there, discover these places and in, see things along the way. And when you see something, just stop and look. And if you see a kangaroo, do see it. Get up early in the morning and listen to the kookaburras. Get up early in the morning and walk along the beach. That was Fee's highly entertaining interview with John Tarot, but I can't talk as quickly as her. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. Sorry. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.